When my life ends and I look back on all the experiences that I've had, what do I want to hang my hat on? And am I doing something every single day to make that future a reality? Welcome to Life Snacks. This is a podcast where we discuss how to navigate that crazy time in life that is life after college and in our 20s. When you know how to be alone with yourself and process the things of the world and really decide how you feel and what they mean to you, you have like an unparalleled power to create your life. Here we'll learn through snack-sized stories but life-changing advice about how to create a life we truly want to live. The great equalizer is that we all have experiences and a voice and the power to do something great in this world. For those of you that may be feeling lost, you are absolutely not alone. I think it's a really beautiful moment when you realize that your passions and your purpose and ultimately what brings in your paycheck can align. I'm your host, Lauren Tierney, personally obsessed with snacks, personal development, and helping women be more connected as we navigate this crazy time in life. Thank you so much for being here. Let's get snacking. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode. Today, we're chatting with Rebecca Biggie. Rebecca is a body confidence coach, podcast host of the show Confidently She, and soon to be author of a book called The Social Currency that focuses on how to invest your time in building a life that feels good on the inside and not just looks good on the outside. In today's conversation, I will add a trigger warning. We do talk about body image and diet culture and a little bit about eating disorders, but we really talk about it from a societal standpoint, from the idea of the trillion dollar diet industry and how becoming educated on diet culture makes you see it everywhere and really why society values certain things, especially when it comes to women and how to switch our mindset and really value what's on the inside and not on the outside, how to give better compliments, how to stop commenting on people's body and how to become a more confident and fulfilled person all around by placing value on things that don't change. And I think this is so important. I've talked about this with my therapist, but every single day, your body and the way you look is going to be a little different. So how can you place value on things that don't change? Because you can't put all your value on something that's constantly changing. You'll never truly be happy because you can't control it. And we really dive into that concept and just how society as a whole really values body image and how Rebecca's aiming to help women navigate this and flip the switch on all the bullshit of diet culture. This was a really great conversation. We talk a lot about needing hobbies and interests as an adult. We talk about we talk about how to measure success based on enjoyment versus how much money you make. And Rebecca opens up about the struggles she faced in her 20s that pushed her to do the work she does today. This was such a great conversation. We really dive into it all. Rebecca is so funny and there's a lot of humor in this conversation, which I really appreciate because we talk about some important subjects, but it was it wasn't too it was more of a light conversation, I think. Anyone can benefit and probably feel really seen by listening to all Rebecca shares today. 
And as always, if you like the podcast, share it on social, tag Rebecca, tag myself, share it with a friend, you know, oh my God, I love this podcast. I love Lauren. She's so cool. Got to check it out. Something like that, you know, just, just some ideas. Anywho, please share it on social, leave ratings and reviews. It truly helps the podcast grow. And I'm just so grateful for each and every one of you that listen and share about it, especially because podcasting is something you do alone in your bedroom. And then you're like, I I don't know if anyone even actually cares. So it means the world to me when I see it on Instagram and when I hear from all of you. Without further ado, guys, here's my conversation with Rebecca Biggie. Rebecca, I have to ask the most important question first on this podcast, and that is what is your favorite snack right now? And what was your favorite childhood snack? Yes, um, my favorite snack right now and has been for a while is popcorn. That's my favorite Um, snack. Fan, big fan of popcorn, specifically the white cheddar popcorn from Trader Joe's. Mm. That is like so, so great and unbelievable. Underrated. Um, so that's that's my favorite right now. Has been for a couple of years. And when I was a kid, I loved those gushers, mm. like fruit snack things. But I never yeah. got to have them because we never got like fancy snacks. Because um, I have four siblings, and they would be gone in like two seconds. So, yeah. <laughs> but the gushers. Gushers. I would love when my neighbors had those in their pantry. <laughs> those are both great snacks. I know it's okay, like as a kid, you'd go to your friend's house hoping like they would have the, the snack that like you the weren't allowed snacks. to have. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, would say, I would say my mom did a good job growing up. Like our pantry was pretty stocked. People would be like, you have like the real Oreos, not like the healthy ones. And I'm like, yeah, I got the real really deal. Right. <laughs> like the off-brand Oreos yes. or whatever. Oh my gosh. Yes. It was like, um, yeah. what were they called? Oh, they were called cheddar bunnies. And I'm like, they used to make me so mad as a kid at my friend's house. I'm like, can we just have goldfish? <laughs> goldfish? Like, but they were like There's cheddar bunnies. There's something about them that tastes yeah. better when it's in the shape of a fish. I can't yeah. explain it. Yeah. Like, I don't want the knockoff. I want the real deal. No. Oh. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay. Rebecca, take us back to when you were in your early twenties and had just graduated from college. Who was Rebecca then? What was she feeling? And what did she think she was going to do with her life and career? Oh, I love that question. Young Rebecca. (laughs) She, she was so, um, dedicated to proving herself. She wanted to prove to herself and to other people that she could make it in industries that were predominantly dominated by men. Uh, So I went into corporate America and I went into software sales, which is about as like bro corporate as it gets. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) And, um, and I, I did that though. I did prove myself and, and I did outperform my male colleagues. Um, but through that process realized there was just not a ton of fulfillment that came from that. And from, from a heart perspective, I really started to ask deep, big questions like, why aren't these things fulfilling me? Yes. And, and why is it that even when I keep reaching these goals that I set for myself, it's like, okay, yeah, that's great. And good for me for a couple hours, but literally later that same day, I'm like, what's next. Okay. Yeah. What, what, what else can I do? What else can I achieve to like prove my worth? So that's where Rebecca was in her 
early twenties. Um, and I think that's where a lot of people find themselves when they are like high performing people. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it can be a different type of, of insecurity that we're trying to fix that we don't even know that it's insecurity. Yeah. It's quite interesting, right? We're taught to go to school, get the job. Like I actually work in tech. I lived in San Francisco, um, lived in a house of girls who all worked in uh, software sales. So mm. totally know the place you're in. And it's quite interesting because I think it's like, you can keep achieving, you can make the money, you can get the promotion. But at the end of the day, if you're not waking up and enjoying like what you're doing every day, mm -hmm. at what, at what cost, like what value do you put your happiness on. So I'd right. love to hear like where you went next and how you evaluated that, because it is hard when you're making a lot of money and you're in an industry that people tell you like, this is it. You're, you're where you need to be, to be quote unquote successful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you touched on a couple things that are really interesting. So first where I, where I went was, okay, well, maybe I need to get into a relationship to give me fulfillment. Uh, which is not a bad idea, but when, when the purpose and intent behind it is like, this needs to fulfill me, you, you, well, at least I started to compromise on some things that would normally be like a deal breaker, but I'm like, well, this is just to fulfill this, like one part of my life. So it's okay. If these other things aren't really aligned because I just need it for like this, this piece of, yes. of my heart and this piece of my life. And it fits there. But then what happens is over a number of years, those other things that you ignored about this person, or I should just say, I, other things that I ignored about this person became like, yeah, this is going to be a problem. If this is the person I'm going to be with forever. So I, I did get engaged to this guy and I called off that engagement after about a year because I just, I played the movie forward and I saw kind of how my life would be uh, with this person. And I knew that it wasn't going to be good. So I made that really tough decision to to not follow that traditional path of, you know, you're in your mid twenties, uh, time to get married, time to, you know, take that next step, um, whatever that means and, and kind of rejected that. And I think that ties in nicely to your, your question or, or your statement about what success looks like, because we in our culture have a very rigid idea of what success is. It's, you know, get married, have yeah. the job, have the house, uh, go on trips and vacations and, and kind of build up these physical assets or relational assets in your life. But no one really asks, well, what if that person isn't going to bring happiness and stability to my life. Yeah. I could marry that person. And on the outside, it would look like progress. It would look like success. Yes. I could take that job that pays me very well and I can live comfortably. But, but like you said, what if I'm waking up, dragging myself out of bed going, Oh my God, look at my calendar today. I just yeah. want to run away from all of this. Mm -hmm. Like, is that success? No, I would say it's not no. success. And, and so we need to take it take it into ourselves to say, what, what do you want your days to look like? And, 
And how can you build a life around, around that rather than reaching these different milestones that culture tells you is what's going to bring success? Because I reached a lot of those milestones. And let me tell you, like, it's, it's not, it's not reaching the milestone. That's what makes you happy. It's, it's doing it in the right way at the right time with the right people in Mm -hmm. the right circumstances. And that takes time to figure out. So I don't know if I answered the question. No, you did. No. (laughs) So, so, so good. I feel like two big things here are one, like seeking external things for internal happiness, Mm. right? We talk Mm. about this a lot on the podcast and I know you talk about in this work or in the work you do, but it's so interesting, right? Sometimes we're like, the boy's going to make us happy or the man's going to make us happy. The house is going to make us happy, the job. And, and if we don't get quiet with ourselves and really think like, who am I and what would make me happy without anything external? That's when it gets, that's when it gets deep and kind of scary. And we don't usually evaluate yeah. those things. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that you said it gets scary because that's, I think where a lot of people start to pull back and that's where in the work that I do, because we haven't even gotten this far yet, Mm -hmm. but with body image and, and self-worth is once you hit on something that feels scary, that's where the growth is. Like you need to go into that further and you need to trust that you are okay to explore that idea in a deeper way because, because the answer is never, oh, you actually don't have any worth and value. Like you're you're never going to figure that out. Like that's never Mm -hmm. going to be the answer. The answer will always be maybe this person doesn't see your value, or maybe this job isn't fulfilling you, but that doesn't mean you'll never be fulfilled or you'll never find love or whatever else, or, or you'll never be seen as attractive or, or whatever that is for, for your specific heart. But when it gets scary, that's where I'm like, Ooh, this Go is farther. about to be interesting. Yeah. 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 We're about to learn something here. So dig into that. Absolutely. Because I think our fear tells us something like when we're afraid of something, that means we should probably do it. Even though I think we, we often think, oh, that's scary. Like I shouldn't even go there, but it's something we haven't explored yet. So I think that's such a key piece. I want to talk about what you do and especially this piece about body image, because that Mm -hmm. is external, right? It's societal. Mm -hmm. It's all these things. It has nothing to do with who we are internally. So can you tell me just a little bit about your journey with body image and the work you do to help women be more confident in their bodies? Yes. Yes. I would love to. So my journey, I, I realized that I was insecure after a really toxic relationship with a narcissist came to an end um, at the end of my college years. And, and I realized that I was insecure because I, while, while I got complimented, while people seemed to like the way that I looked, I realized that I was putting all of my identity and worth and value in the things that people liked about me. And that's what we all do, by the way. Like we're, we're humans, we're social creatures. We want to be liked by other people and we tend to put our value in whatever people compliment us on. So maybe that's your athletic ability. Maybe that's your intellect. Maybe that's your body. 
right? And for me, that's how those insecurities developed because people complimented the way I looked. And then I started to hold that very tightly and very firmly. And I was so terrified that if, if my body ever changed or if someone came along that was better looking than me or, or had a different type of attractive body than me, then, then I would lose my value and, you know, my, my boyfriend would leave me for them. Um, and, and it was just all revealed to me in this toxic relationship where I let this person's opinion of me shape my opinion of myself. And when I got out of that, I realized this is a problem because while while you fit the current cultural beauty standard, one that changes about every yes. 10 years or so mm-hmm. it changes. Um, and also by the way, Rebecca, you're getting older and our culture does not value age in women. It um, criticizes age and actually actively works to help you fight aging, which is mm-hmm. a weird concept as well. Uh, so I was like, I don't think this is a battle you're going to win. So rather than trying to fight this battle and white knuckle it, I think you should go deeper into why it is that you put your value in what other people think of you and where else could you put your value. And, And through that process, I started to see my body not as an object to be desired, but as an instrument of my life to be cared for and to be used. Like I can use my body to do things. And when I see my body as, as a vehicle for my life, I cared less and less and less about how many wrinkles I had on my face or what my cellulite looked like that day or Mm -hmm. whether or not people could see, you know, whatever. And I cared more and more about how do I, how does my body feel today? Am I strong? Do I have stamina? Am I sleeping well? Like it just completely shifted how I valued and measured my body. That's, that's so valuable. I think, especially as young women and like girls, even we're told like, you look so pretty, like you look so like beautiful. And it's like, that is, that's fine. But like, what about you're so smart. You're going to be the president, like whatever it is. And I think that's often why, especially as women, we, we internalize that from a young age. And you touched on something, which was people commenting on the way you looked And I want to ask you, was that during a time where you felt healthy or was that during a time where you felt like you were in a restrictive mindset and you were trying to hold on to that? Hmm. So I, I got comments on the way that I looked pretty much all, all through growing up and, and everything. I didn't really have like a, like an awkward phase or Mm -hmm. a super restrictive eating phase or anything like that. I didn't struggle with that specifically, but I will say it created this expectation that I felt like if I am ever not this way, the compliments are going to stop. I'm not going to get attention from people. People aren't going to care about who I am or, or what I have to say, and I will be abandoned. So it was more of, I better maintain the way my body looks. And so that developed some, not disorder, not, not an eating disorder, but what I call disordered eating Eating. Mm -hmm. patterns, because everyone who has not done this work, everyone 
has disordered eating patterns because of how we internalize marketing messages, um, the calorie counts on the menus now, like you can't not have some kind of disordered eating like, oh, I like to cut my food in half and then save the rest for later and put the dressing on the side. Like that's a disordered eating pattern. Like you're overthinking this Mm -hmm. and for what reason? So, so it was, it wasn't like someone was complimenting my eating disorder, which I know happens a lot, Yeah, but it was, people are paying attention to these pieces of me. They like what they see. So therefore I better keep it up. Mm -hmm. Um, and that made me feel weird. It's yeah. Cause people weren't, they were complimenting external things. And the danger is like who we are externally will change throughout our lives. So it will change every yes. day. And mm. you can't put weight on something that changes every single yes. day. And I want to yes. talk about this idea of disordered eating versus eating disorders. And it's, I have an episode coming out about this in the next few weeks, but it's crazy because as someone who went through a pretty severe eating disorder and went through recovery, I was telling my friend, I was like, this isn't right to say, but having struggled with that makes you think every single person has an eating disorder. Because if you've gone through the recovery and done the work, you're like, here, the person that's like, oh, I really don't deserve that. Or like, I better get another workout in today. Or like, oh, we really shouldn't. It's like this language that you get someone who's recovered and gone through tons of therapy. I can still catch myself saying things like that because it's societal. Like we have- like the labels on menus sometimes will Mm -hmm. be like the healthy start, like the sweet indulgent, like it's ingrained in everything. And I think it's so hard to unlearn. And as someone who's like been through something like that, I'm like, Oh, am I being oversensitive to this language? Because it's just like a part of society. So I'd love for you to kind of dive into the work you do with your clients to unlearn those things and to like gain this confidence internally. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, you're so right. And it's not that it's not that you're over uh, sensitive. It's that you're educated. Mm. You're educated on this. And, and, and the population of people is not educated on this. We don't, you know, we don't think about things through the lens of marketing and economics and um, like the philosophy of persuasion and all of these things, but that's what it is. It's, it's creating this language that makes you feel a certain way so that you will buy a product. And once you're, once you're educated around that, you start to see it everywhere. It's like, when you learn about anything, you're like, oh my gosh, like it's, it's everywhere. And so the work that I do with clients, it's interesting because we don't, we don't focus so much on, on food or eating or anything Mm -hmm. like that, because it's that it's, it's never about the food. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you learned this through your therapy. It's that it's not about the food. It's not about what your body actually looks like. It's about your, your heart posture, what beliefs you've internalized from culture and just switching those out. And, and that's what I work on with, with clients is what are your current beliefs? What are you seeing as true about women, true about you, true about food, if that's an issue for a client. And then we just work through the deconstruction process, which is a philosophical approach to 
learning and understanding something. And we say, okay, is this true all the time? Is this true for everyone? When is it not true? How does this look? How would you, how would you do it differently if you could? And we rebuild that. And so when it comes to, I guess, your question about being aware of disordered eating patterns in your life, all you have to do to start becoming aware of them is to slow down and to be, and I don't even want to say like mindful eating because that's not even what this is. It's more of mindful thinking while you're eating. Okay. So you're yeah. hungry. Okay. Are you hungry or is it 12 o'clock noon and you think it's time to eat? Mm -hmm. That's a disordered eating pattern that it's like, you look at the clock and see if it's okay for you to eat. You shouldn't be looking at the clock to see if it's okay. You should be tuning in with your body and saying, am I hungry or am I not? You know, like that's a very simple thing that we're conditioned to eat around certain times. Um, and, and really just going through and asking yourself when I make these food choices, why is it that I'm choosing this food? Is it because I want to be good today? Is it because I was bad yesterday? Taking the morality away mm -hmm. from food is, is the biggest step that, that you can take. There's no such thing as good food and bad food. There's food that you like. There's food that you don't like. There's food that has a lot of nutrients. There's yeah. food that doesn't have a lot of nutrients. But, but a, a funny thing happens when you heal your relationship with food. You don't, you don't look to food to be your joy and your happiness. So then therefore you, you just make different decisions about it. But, but what you could do <clears throat> a fun exercise that I do with clients is look up different marketing campaigns for food throughout the years or for diet products throughout oh the years. Oh my gosh. It's like and everything now is like keto, but back in the yes. day, everything was low fat. Like yes. it, when we were younger, it was like my, the, like my mom's dieting era or whatever. Like it was low fat and now it's keto. Like yeah. I saw sparkling water labeled as keto at whole foods. I'm yeah. like, no, no fucking shit. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> thanks. Thanks yeah. for telling me that water is keto. Yeah. And, and just have a laugh at some of these things that it's like, wow, we used to think that this was how to qualify healthy food. And now we do it this way. And it's not because we're getting smarter. It's not because of science. Mm -mm. It's because of business, because we figured out, oh, this one doesn't work. So then the businesses went, let's try to sell them this. Let's see yeah. if they buy it. And we do. And then we buy that for 10 years and then it switches again. And so if you can look at that pattern and say, oh, the, the diet industry, the, even like the food industry, right? When they told us that like milk was really healthy for mm -hmm. you, that you should eat all this dairy. Mm -hmm. That was the dairy industry saying, hey, we need more money. Can you please, can you please do this like got milk campaign and brainwash everyone into thinking yeah. that milk is healthy. And now nobody like, well, I live in LA, so I don't know anyone who drinks dairy milk, but it's like, it's, it's catching on, right? Totally. Dairy is not good for you. And how did we figure that out? Not through these marketing campaigns, because the businesses don't care about your health. They care about, you know, your money and they want it. And so, and so that's, a, that's a fun exercise to just kind of educate yourself on the different food language that has been used over the years. And, um, and kind of get like a jump jump start into like being aware of how we talk about food and and all that. 
It's so crazy because you saying that also just kind of it's all ties together, right? Like the body standard changes over the years. It used to be if you look at sculptures of like Greek gods, like they're like bigger women and their stomachs are Mm -hmm. out. And then it goes to like the really, really skinny phase. And now it's like you have to look like Kim Kardashian, right? You got to be skinny waist and like in 10 years, it's going to be different. And the same with the diet industry. So it's like instead of looking again externally to everything you should be or to every diet and industry is telling you to be like the only thing you can look is how do I feel? Like, who do I want? How do I want to feel every day? What what are the thoughts I want to have? Because Mm -hmm. it's never going to be the same. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it came, I came to a kind of, again, a scary conclusion when I realized that all my worth was tied up in the way I looked, I was like, okay, Rebecca, who, who are you? Like, like you're more than just the way you look, but like, who are you? What are your, what are your actual interests? What are your hobbies? What do you want Mm -hmm. to do for the world? What are you interested in? And I realized I was like, oh my God, I don't have any hobbies. I don't have a lot of interests. I'm just like going through the motions, trying to pay my bills and trying to do this and that. And, and I realized, oh no, like Rebecca, you're, you're kind of a boring person. And, and, and I was like, Oh God. So I, I realized I'm like, okay, get some hobbies, yeah. have some interests, do some things. And then you start to, to broaden your horizons. You look outside of yourself and you realize like there are people in the world that I want to help. And this is what I want to help them with. Or, you know, I really love, I really love the violin and I've, I've never learned. So I want to learn to play the violin. Mm-hmm. And I, and I started doing that. I, you know, I, I really like volleyball. I want to play beach volleyball like every weekend. Okay. Do that. Like, and when you fill your life with things that you enjoy for yourself, you start to meet other people who enjoy those things too. And, and you just become a more dynamic, a more interesting person. And then your body becomes the least interesting part of who you are. But until Mm. you do that work to expand that and figure out who am I, what do I like? What kind of music do I want to listen to? What kind of movies do I want to watch? If no one else was there, like, that's a big thing that I did as I started spending time alone Yeah, and figuring out like, no, Rebecca, what do you like? Because women are really good at like adapting to what other people want to do and being like flexible Mm -hmm. and oh yeah, like I'll just go with the flow. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, no, no, Rebecca, you hate sports. You do not (laughs) want to watch football. So, um, what would you do if, no one else was around. And so I, I dug into those things and got some, got some hobbies and, um, you know, you should have a hobby that, that is physical. Like I do uh, beach volleyball. I do rock climbing. I like to go walking. Um, you should have a hobby that is like expressive, you know, like my uh, violin, I like to dance. Um, and you should have one that, that educates you. So finding a certain author that you really like, or a certain topic that you want to learn more about, not to make it your job, but just to make yourself a more educated, interesting human being. Um, because then you just, you have more, you have more to bring to the table than just your face or your body. Um, I feel like it makes it easier. I feel like, especially in your twenties, so many people go through that where they're like, I go out to the bar with my friends and I drink and then I work, but I don't have hobbies. And it's really interesting to explore because 
you mentioned something so key and I actually read it in a book that's about rewiring your brain and like different neural pathways, but essentially it's like, you can't start thinking bigger and differently about your life if you're not learning new things. And and like hobbies are incredible because you're, you're trying things that you don't need to be good at. And we have hobbies as a kid and then we grow up and we stop having hobbies. And then we, it's like, we need to do this work to be like, Oh, what do I do for fun again? And a big thing for me at least was like, okay, Lauren, you can't just work out for fun. Like that's not a hobby. Like you can be active, no, but it's (laughs) not a hobby. (laughs) Yeah. Like loving group fitness classes isn't a hobby. Like maybe you need to evaluate that. And I think (laughs) also what you said is so important, which is you don't have to monetize your hobbies. And I think I have definitely come up against this. And I think society, there's a lot of like being your own boss and like the culture of everyone should be an entrepreneur and maybe that works for someone, but it's not for everyone. And Mm -mm. I don't think you have to capitalize on something that makes you just as fun for you because oftentimes it won't become fun anymore. Yep. No, you're totally right. And that's what happens. Again, that's cultural uh, conditioning as well, because we live in America and this is a capitalist, capitalist, capitalist country, which I was an economics major, philosophy major, political science major. And, And it's just so obvious that it's like everything that is ingrained in our culture is about money and making money. Yeah. And I'm not going to lie. Money is great. I love money. Money is like one of my favorite things. Yeah. Yeah. But like you say, you know, if you attach your, because what happens when you try to monetize your passion is that you then start measuring its success based on how much money you make from it rather than how much enjoyment you get from it. So I made a promise with myself when I started learning violin, I was like, Rebecca, you are not trying to be a world-class violinist. Mm -hmm. You may not ever even do this for someone other than your roommates who have to hear you, you know, like, like this is for you to, to have an outlet of enjoyment and expression and to, to have some discipline and something that's difficult for you, you know? Yeah. Um, but it's so true that there's this, this pressure of almost like you, you have to, be an entrepreneur and you have to find your passion and monetize it in order to be a successful person. Right. That's just like the new wave of what success is kind of looking like. But I mean, I work a nine to five job because I don't want to have the pressure on my business of like healing women's hearts around the way they feel about their body. I don't want to, to have that pressure. And I have a corporate sales job still. Um, and, and that's, good for me for right now. It's balanced. It works. And, and you don't have to conform to, you know, this new wave of, of how we're measuring success either. I love what you said. That's good for me for right now. I don't think, I think sometimes we're so focused on what's the end result that we can't sit in the now and appreciate it. And I, I'm Mm. interested to hear if that comes up with your clients and just as you coach people, I'm sure they go through career transitions and life changes. And I'd love to hear just like some of the fears that come up, especially for women when it comes to those type of things. Yeah. So it's usually they, they want to be in a place where they love their body, right? That's, that's the thing that they come to me for. It's like, I want to love my body, but I don't know how, because of how it currently is. 
<laughs> you know, it's like, how do I, how do I love something that I want to change? And, you know, I, I asked them, do you, if they're in a relationship or, you know, I, I obviously figure out what's going on in their life. So let's say that they're, let, let's say they're married. Do you, do you love your, your husband? Yes. I love my husband. Okay. Are there things you want to change about your husband? Like, are there things that if you could, you'd be like, yeah, I wish he didn't do that. Of course, because they're, they're a flawed human being and we all are. And you could have that same conversation with your best friend or about your mom or about, about your dog. Like, it doesn't even matter. It's like, there are things in your life that you love. There are people in your life who you love, but you would change a few things about them if, if you could. And the same has to be true for the relationship with our body. The relationship with your body is, you know, love does not mean that this person is perfect or that your body is perfect. And I try to help my clients see that like your body is not perfect and it's never going to be perfect. So let's just like take that word and put it aside. But how could you in this current moment appreciate a few things about your body? Because that's, that's where love really starts. Like you can't, you can't just like love someone. There are four stages of love. You have to know them you have to respect them. You have to appreciate them and you have to commit to them. Mm. That's what love really looks like. So, so getting to know your body, even in its current imperfect form helps you start to see things that you will then respect about your body. Like, yeah, you know, these, my, my legs are uh, a part of my body that I was insecure about for a long time because they're, they're, bigger. I don't know what they're bigger than like bigger than what, like mm -hmm. <laughs> bigger than I think they should be. I don't know. Right. It's all, realized, it's all personal. Yeah. Yeah. And some people look at me and you're like, well, you're tiny. How could you possibly, you know, whatever. But I, I realized, you know, I have, I have powerful, strong legs that enabled me to run a marathon like that's mm -hmm. amazing. And if you don't take the time to know and look at your body and realize these different, this, these different elements of it, you'll never, you'll never grow that respect and then appreciation for, for what your body really is and what it does for you. So again, I don't know if that answered the question, but it's like <laughs> to, to, to start to um, combat some of those fears is you, you need to look at what is there not be afraid of what is there and, you know, go through that process of, of building love for something, even in its, its current state and knowing all along again, that it's going to change, right? Absolutely. Like your body is going to change. Everything in life is going to change. And you have to put your, uh, your worth, even your body's worth in things that don't change. Um, like, like just the fact that you're, you know, you're alive and you're able to enjoy things um, yeah. because of your body. Yeah. It's so true. Thinking about appreciating your body because it sounds so awful to say, but like, I'm an able-bodied human being, like my legs yes. can make me walk around. And I think when yeah. you're born able-bodied, you don't think about that. And it's a privilege. It and is. I think I really worked through a lot of this in therapy, but like I'd be like, this is so silly. Like when I was in the depths of my eating disorder, it was like, this is so silly. How could I be struggling with something like this 
when like my life is great on paper, yeah. like, yeah. and I'm putting so much. And I think that was like, what was so important to me of working through so much of it. Like I'm so privileged and God forbid, if something happened and all of this was taken away, like then I'd have some real fucking problems. Yep. Not to say that an eating disorder isn't a very real struggle because it absolutely is. And to anyone struggling, like it's important you get help, but I love this idea of appreciating like what you can do yes, because it really reframes how you think of yourself and your body. And there's the appreciation you have for your life. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. We need the, the perspective to be brought back in because you know who I have never worked with as a, a body image coach. I have never worked with someone with a deformity yeah, or who is, uh, I have only worked with able-bodied women. Yeah. Because, because we lose sight of what's really important. I think that people that I have talked with, um, who, you know, they're paralyzed or, or they do have a deformity. They're like, I'm just so grateful for the fact that the rest of my body works. Like it, it, it changes your perspective so suddenly. And through those conversations, I made a promise to myself and was like, Rebecca, I don't want to live a life where I have to lose something in order to appreciate it. Yeah. I don't want it to be true that you never know what you got until it's gone. No, 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 no. I want to know what I've got. And, and that's part of also appreciating, you know, the fact that, that I, I do like the way that I look now and my, the way I looked has, has not changed by the way I I've learned to like the way that I look because I don't hold on to my, my appearance as tightly anymore. So now it's like, yeah, I look hot and I love that. And that's great for today. I know that it's going to change. And when it does, I will, I will face that day when it comes, but I'm holding onto it so loosely with like open hands that whether it comes or goes is, is not important to me anymore. Because again, I've built myself out to be a more dynamic, interesting person than just a pretty face. Yeah. And you're what's in your mind and how Mm. you feel every day is going to change. And I think that's something that's so key. Like when you're having a bad day with something like that, or you're going out to dinner and you're not feeling good about what you look like or whatever it is, because they sound silly, but I think a lot of women feel that way and they let it, they let it derail their whole evening because they just weren't feeling good, which we've all been there, but it's like, you have so much more than the way you look and you bring so much to your conversations and to your life when you can show up with a presence that has nothing to do with how you look. Yes. Yes. No, it's, it, it's so true. And, and also, you know, giving, giving yourself some grace to, to sit in some of that discomfort and some of that, um, sadness or frustration, like toxic positivity is also a thing. Like that doesn't yeah. help you to just like oh, brush it off. And I need to love my body because then mm-hmm. you start feeling guilt and shame around feeling like you, you don't appreciate your body, but it's yeah. like, you know what we live, like, let's just break it down. Like we live in a culture that is actively investing money in making you feel bad about your current body. So that businesses can can make money off of you. Like, that's just what it is. And rather than, rather than being like, that's not fair. And we need to take down these companies and whatever, which like some days I do feel like that, but it's like every time you make a a decision to think differently about your body, you are contributing to 
taking down those types of marketing campaigns. Those types of marketing campaigns don't work on me anymore. So I go and buy different types of products or maybe the same products from a different type of marketing campaign. So we teach businesses how to sell to us. Yeah. So, so you can sit, I kind of lost my train of thought there, but you can sit in that, um, that space of like, you know what, today is tough. And I'm not going to fight against it. I'm just going to realize that today is tough. And so I'm going to be gentle with myself today. And when you allow that feeling to sit for a little bit, it doesn't last very long. You, your mind goes to something else, or if you can develop some, some practices to get yourself out of that, which I just focus on my, my five senses. So if I'm starting to, well, if a client is starting to have like a a bad body image day, or they're feeling like, you know, I I just don't like the way my outfit is fitting and I've got to go to dinner in 20 minutes and I just want to crawl into a hole. Um, I just say, okay, go through your five senses. I want you to look at something that, that you aesthetically like. Okay. So maybe it's like a picture or something you have on your wall. Okay. Look at that picture. Okay. Smell something that you enjoy. Maybe it's your perfume. Maybe it's a candle. Okay. Smell that, uh, touch something that's soft. And as you go through these, these five things, well, it seems like what you want me to smell a candle? Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like it, it seems very simple and basic, but it is simple and basic to get yourself into a place of appreciation of like, oh my God, I am able to smell this perfume that I love. Oh my God, I am able to touch this blanket that is so soft that I love so much. Oh, my body allows me to interact with the world. That's amazing. And now you're thinking that instead of, ugh, these pants don't fit the way that I wanted them to. And you know, like yeah. it's just getting your mind on something bigger and more important than, than that. And, and that usually will shift shift you out of it in a way that that surprises you. Yeah. And it's about when you say dismantling the patriarchy of like (laughs) diet culture and everything else, it's also about giving the women in your life better compliments. It's not about what they look like. It's about like, maybe like you seem so happy. You're glowing, like whatever it is, like your energy is so good today. We got to get away from saying you look so good, whether or not it is a compliment, whether you knew your friend was like on a health journey, that's fine. But what you say to them is like, you seem really happy or whatever it is, but we need to stop complimenting, shrinking ourselves as women, because it is not a compliment to shrink yourself. And it is not something that needs to be discussed at dinner tables. It is the least interesting thing. It's so boring. Yes. I know. I totally agree. It's like, do we really need to be talking about this? Like, let's talk about something else. And, and like I said earlier, the things that we get complimented on are the things that we start shaping our identity around. So what if we were as women to start complimenting each other on things like, Oh, you like, you're just radiating such like good, like you said, like positive energy right now. Like, I love that you are here. Um, or I'm so proud of your dedication to your job, even though you hate it right now. Like that actually, like that's, that's good for you. Or like, I'm so excited. You took up that new hobby. Like, tell me more about it. There's so many more interesting things to talk about. Yes. I'm, I'm totally with you. I have two closing questions I would like to ask you. And the first is what is one thing you wish you valued more or paid more attention to earlier in life? Cool. Well, I I wish I paid more attention to what I was paying attention to. And that's, Mm. that's what my whole book is about. That's, that's coming out this year um, is 
is valuing the things that you actually value by paying more attention to them. Because whatever it is that you're paying attention to, that's what you are investing your energy in. And so I was paying attention to the way I looked. And that is so boring and that is so um, shallow. And I didn't even realize it, um, but I was feeding and investing everything into yeah. how do I look? How am I going to look tomorrow? What am I going to wear? What does my body look like? How do I eat to that so that I maintain this body? But I wish that I paid attention to my thoughts more and, and built out hobbies sooner. Yeah. I mean, it goes back to the idea that your thoughts create your reality. And mm -hmm. if that's all you're thinking about, that's, you can't see values bigger than that until you start right. thinking bigger or differently. Differently. Yeah. Yeah. Rebecca, what is one piece of advice you would give to the Rebecca who just graduated from college? Oh man. Well, first I would say break up with him right now before <laughs> yes. you move in with him because you know, he's crazy. Okay. That's what I would say. <laughs> that's the first thing I would say. Um, and and I would also just say, like, you have time, mm. like it doesn't all have to happen right now. Like, yes. yes, you have these big goals and yes, you want to make a big impact on the world, but let it happen in its time. Start now, right? Like, don't, don't put it off. Start now, but you have time for all of these things to happen. You don't need to do everything at once. You don't need to have the result right away. Give yourself the time to grow into the person who's going to be able to handle all of that yeah. influence and all of that impact because you actually don't want it too soon because then it's, mm. it's going to crumble and go away. So uh, beautiful advice, Rebecca, <laughs> where can our listeners find you by your book, connect with you? Tell us all the things. Yeah. Well, Instagram makes it really easy. So I'm at Rebecca Biggie and I also have, have a free quiz that people can take. It's at bodyconfidencequiz.com that places you on like the path of, of healing that I created. Um, whatever step that you're at, it'll place you there. Um, but Instagram has all the things. Uh, Amazon awesome. will have my book when it's out. And so exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. It was incredible chatting with you. Yes. It was so great. Thank you so much.